Welcome back to the Two Man Wall Podcast. I am Braden. I'm here with my co-host, Ethan. How's it going? And today, I would like to acknowledge a little bit of a milestone. Um, a milestone that we actually blew right through without even noticing that we blew through it. Um, we hit our 50th episode just four episodes ago. Today is our 54th, <laughs> 54th episode of the Two Man Wall Podcast we were recording today. We blew right through it. We were a month late to this. Nose to the Jesus. grindstone, <laughs> head in the, and we couldn't even remember that this was that I believe it was the 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 last of the state of the clubs. Tottenham was the fiftieth episode. Uh, Premier League predictions being fifty one. Um, so yeah, fifty episodes up, fifty episodes down. A lot of good predictions. A lot of predictions that. I will not lay claim to, even though I sent them into a microphone and posted them all over the internet. Um, but yeah. Wow, that 50 just came and went. Didn't it? I mean, wow, 50 episodes. Damn. Yeah. I mean, our first, we're starting our second season now. So um, yeah, 50 episodes down. Any particular reflections, moments that stood out to you from the first 50? Um... Say the the World Cup episodes were really fun. Yeah, that that was those fun. Were, and it was a good World Cup too. Those so were it was great very, to make. Very easy yeah. to record. Uh we we could have made a eight hour podcast after <laughs> that final. Like seriously, <laughs> I we, I really should we should have been uh, done like a live stream and just posted that. Yeah, like a troops and uh, live stream. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, fifty episodes. Here's to fifty more. Hopefully more than that more, but at least 50 more. Um, but enough of the sentimental stuff. We've got some football to cover this week. And this week, I, I had a bit of trouble narrowing it down to three games. So we said, fuck it. We're doing all of them. All 10 games we're covering today. Your team will get covered no matter what, as long as it's in the Premier League. Uh, without any further ado, let's jump right into it. We're going to go chronologically, starting with the Friday game. That Friday game was Chelsea 3, Luton Town 0, Sterling in the 17th, Sterling again the 68th, and then Nicholas Jackson the 75th getting his first real Chelsea goal. Um, yeah. Capping it off. Capping off a very impressive win against the consensus worst team in the league. What, you're saying Premier League Summer Series doesn't count as a real trophy? <laughs> I mean, I can't believe what I'm hearing. <laughs> <laughs> it's right up there with the Audi Cup. Anyway, um... Yeah, great for Nicholas Jackson to get off the board, but I think obviously the main headline here is Sterling rediscovering yeah. his best form. Um, but also, let's not get too carried away. It's Luton. Like, yeah. he did play well against West Ham last week. Uh, to be fair to him, it does look like he is going to be the talisman for this yeah. Chelsea team at least until, you know, guys like Nkunku come back. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, this is... This is the Sterling that Chelsea re- need right now. They need goals from this front line. They need and a veteran. right now, Sterling is providing it. Yeah. That, yeah they, they need do. anyone over the age of 24 to start doing something. Sterling's and right now, they're 28 only, and he's exactly, a veteran in this yeah. team. <laughs> no, he's, he's like decrepit compared to the rest of this team. And How old he, is that, Sterling? Uh, I mean, he won like Young Player of the Year like four times. So, like, that wasn't too long oh, ago. Oh, he's 28. Right? Okay. Yeah, 28. Yeah, I mean, he's. Him and Thiago Silva. Thiago Silva is like Master Shifu old at this point compared to the rest of the squad. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, 
with all these, I think it goes kind of under the radar that yes, Sterling is playing well, but he's all he he's a it's not a younger player playing well; it's an older player playing well. So maybe this you know part of a leadership thing sets the example for some of the other attackers. I mean, certainly guys like Mudrik could use a little bit of guidance at this point in their career. He hasn't had too impressive first few games. So yeah, uh, this Chelsea team looks like the Chelsea team that I think Chelsea fans would have wanted to see in terms of like, were they going to be perfect? Were they going to be like, you know, everything clicking? No. And it wasn't, you know, perfect, but Sterling being Sterling for the first time since putting on a Chelsea Jersey really um, is a very promising sign. If, if you're asking me whether I would have liked Mudrik to find his form or Sterling to find a form, I probably would have said Mudrik. But hey, at this point, if the ball's going in the back of the net. Who gives a shit? Yeah, like the money's really? gone. Yeah, <laughs> like doesn't matter who's uh, scoring. Like yeah, it's also notable that Caicedo had a, a nice rebound performance. It is. Um, looked more comfortable out there certainly than he did at the London Stadium last week. Um, but yeah, uh, in terms of Chelsea. This was as good as it probably could have been hosting Luton Town. Um, as for Luton Town, they got outclassed by a team that was better than them. And not much analysis there. Really just probably going to need a couple, at least another manager. Probably uh, money money on the table is probably going to be Luton to change their manager first. Um, but maybe that's so. what sparks them. No? No, because like even if they're dead last, like... Some team is going to perform worse below their expectations than Luton. <laughs> so I don't think he'll be the first manager. I mean, maybe. But who knows? I mean, the expectations um, are so low for them. Sean like, Dyche is probably <laughs> actually up there too. Even though Yeah, right now I'd say. <laughs> if I were if I would look at this Everton team, I would probably bring in Sean Dyche. But unfortunately he is the one <laughs> that is orchestrating this. <laughs> um <laughs> Anyway, we'll get to we'll get to Everton later, but uh, yeah. <laughs> As for this game to wrap up, Chelsea looking more promising certainly than they did last week at the London Stadium, and Luton proving to the league that they might just be the worst team. <laughs> Moving on chronologically, Bournemouth nil, Spurs two. Madison getting his first goal for Spurs in the seventeenth, and then Dayan Kulusevski getting the double for Spurs in the 63rd. Um, but I think that 2-0 doesn't really do the Spurs performance justice because it was dominant. It was free-flowing. This is a Spurs team that hasn't looked like this since, like, 2017, 2018. Like, th- this, is, this is a Spurs team that I think it's clear. And I think because they're playing so well, it's almost a slight on what the hell Antonio Conte was doing with this team that they had this, it's just a different brand of football. It just, it's completely different. I haven't seen this Tottenham team move the ball so quickly. I used to say it that like Tottenham would only score on the counterattack because when you pack, when you, you know, put 10 10 men behind the ball against them, they would always struggle. They wouldn't move the ball quick enough. They wouldn't have good enough movement in the midfield to, break down teams in the final third when they're all packed in there, something that Man City is so great at. Um, but all of a sudden, it's like they've found their invention, they found their creativity, they found their finishing ability. 
um, with the exception of one Brazilian man whose name I don't <laughs> need to mention at this point. Um, it's, it's beautiful to watch. It really is. And I said Spurs were coming eighth this season. I certainly didn't expect them to play this well through three games. Yeah, uh, Spurs haven't looked this good since the first three games of last season. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but obviously, like you said, it's a completely different uh, style of soccer. And yeah, it's it's exciting to watch from their point of view because they, they want the ball. They want to possess. Mm-hmm. They're being much more patient, but you know they're being direct at the right times as well. I um, mean, you know, 17 shots, like clearly they were peppering the goal. And like you yeah. said, 2-0 maybe doesn't do them justice. But yeah, um, again, all the optimism in the world from uh, Spurs fans and take advantage because I'm sure at some point they'll get the shit. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. This could be a turnaround. I don't, I don't, it just history says no, but I don't know. <laughs> Who knows? Who knows in the Premier League? Brentford won, Palace won. Um, in the 18th minute, I mean, I don't know who this dude is, but I think it's a remember the name moment because that goal was amazing. <laughs> that, was that was a, yeah. that was like a rivals Matoma's goal from last week. That was an incredible goal. Um, yeah. but it, his name is shade shod. Uh, however, I'm not entirely sure. If you know yeah. I think it's shod. 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 Yeah. Or shod. Whatever. Whatever his name is. I'll. That's what if the he turns out said. to be a you know Ballon d'Or candidate, I'll <laughs> clip this out and be like, <laughs> remember when I couldn't pronounce his name? Um, but Yucky Manderson snatches a equalizer in the 76th minute. An equalizer. I didn't watch a second of this game. I'll be completely honest. The Arsenal game was on during this time, and if you were watching the Arsenal game, you're probably watching the United game because that was pretty interesting too. Uh-huh. Um, so not many people had eyes on this one if you weren't a Brentford or Palace supporter. Uh, but Palace. In all likelihood, snatching an undeserved equalizer. Um, I know Eze has been getting this team running offensively, but Brentford has. I looked at the stats. Looked like they controlled this game. Um, controlled this. Controlled games before this. So, Ethan, maybe you have more insight on this one. Um. Yeah. I mean, I was also watching the Arsenal yeah. game, but I caught the extended highlights. Um. It looks like Crystal Palace probably had the higher quality of opportunities. I think. Yeah. Uh, Flecken has looked really good for them. Um, maybe, uh, uh, obviously as a Raya replacement, I don't know if he has the same, uh, like foot skills and same passing range, Yeah. but from a shot stopping point of view, other than the goal, which was a little bit scrappy, uh, just like went through his legs, um, as he came out, other than that, he looked really good. So, uh, promising for them. And obviously, uh, Kevin Shaw, the starting to live up to the hype. He is Brentford's record signing. Yep. Um. So him in that front line with Mbumo and Wisa, obviously until Tony, Tony. comes back. Although Wisa's looked good as well. So, yeah. yeah, not too many headlines from this. But again, Brentford similar to Brighton, looking like even when they lose their better players, they have somebody in the works. Yeah, yeah. Brentford have looked pretty stellar, and. I, I was watching the Arsenal game, but I get all the notifications. Um, and when Brentford went up one nothing, 18th minute, I'm like, Brentford are just going to sneak into the top seven. Just like, no one's going to pay attention, and then all of a sudden they're going to be seventh on the final day. Like, it's just, it's just the way their season's going. They just, like, churn out victories. They don't do it with, you know, crazy, impressive uh, performances like Newcastle did when they got top four last year, or Brighton did when they secured Europa League last year, but... 
when the final whistle blows, they are they have more goals than the opponent, and it's definitely down to what Thomas Frank is doing, how they're filling in for Tony, um, Bomo's form, like you said, like all good stuff coming from Brentford. Probably disappointed not to get all three at home against Palace in this game, but you know the they'll snatch some points when they don't deserve it later in the season. I'm sure, so it'll all even out. Moving on to a uh, bit of a thriller here: Arsenal two, Fulham two. Um, Andres Pereira getting a very, uh, interesting FIFA-like goal in the first minute of this game. <laughs> um, poor back pass from, I believe it was Saka, and then yeah. Turner, like, gets the angle all wrong. Um, ends up just, like, backtracking towards his back post, leaving the entire front post open, and I think on Pereira might have been aiming for the back post, but then it curls into the front post, and Turner's like, oh, not Turner, uh, Ramsdale. <laughs> I say, yeah. I, maybe, maybe Turner would have saved it, because he had quite the performance for Forrest <laughs> at the same time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Ramsdale got it all wrong, Saka got it all wrong, just the nightmare start. Um, however, um, as you might imagine, Arsenal control possession, dominate the game. That point forward, uh, Saka eventually getting the equalizer in the 70th, and then the dirty double uh, from Eddie Nketiah uh, off a yeah. brilliant this Fabio is... Vieira uh, pass. Got the Emirates rocking. Not too long after, a second yellow for, I believe it was Calvin Bassi for yeah. yellow that nobody's really arguing about. That was pretty clean. Uh, there are red cards later that we'll talk about that are a little more arguable than this one. This one was a pretty clear second yellow. The first one was yellow too. Um, and this one was just as clear. Uh, but that did not stop Arsenal from blowing two points. They concede a needless corner kick in the 87th minute and then completely lose Paulinia up a man who swings a mighty boot at it and finds just about the only channel he could to the back of the net to equalize and Arsenal had a couple chances late, but eventually did not get the job done and Fulham steal a point at the Emirates against title contenders, Arsenal. And there are two schools of thought for Arsenal fans on this one. It, one of them is that the team completely blew this up a goal, up a man and should have been controlling this game and seeing out the win in any way possible. And even giving a, Poor scoring CDM. Poor on the scoring end. Very good CDM. Mm. Poor on the scoring end CDM. Yeah. Uh, even a sniff at goal would be a sniff too much. Um, there's another school of thought that says that uh, this team was utterly transformed by the substitutions Arteta made. And how could they possibly have gotten the starting lineup that wrong and substituted that late in the game? So I think it's kind of the Arteta. Was it Arteta's fault or was it the player's fault for not getting over the line? Um, yeah, well, I think Arteta's been experimenting a lot with this starting 11. Yeah. Um, obviously, I think now the big debate will be Kai Havertz. Uh-huh. Uh, I think a lot of people, I don't think anybody, any, anybody's really been impressed with his start to life cool, uh, yeah. as a gunner in the Prem, at least in the first two games. After this game, certainly everybody has their question marks, and now... After seeing Fabio Vieira come in his place and completely change the game, earned the penalty, got the assist for Inketia, um, just looked like, you know, the opposite of Kai Havertz out there. Um, 
I think it will be a real debate as to whether Kai Havertz should start next week. My take is that, um, now listen, I trust Arteta. I trust that Arteta is seeing the same things that myself and all Arsenal fans are seeing, which is that Kai Havertz is just not, he's not even getting involved mm-hmm. in the game. And that's the real concern. You know, it's one thing if what he's trying isn't working. You know, he's misplacing passes, his finishing's been poor, but Kai Havertz just doesn't seem like he wants to be involved in the game. When he gets the ball, he's not looking to go forward with it. He's not looking to dribble past players. He doesn't make a ton of runs. He doesn't move a lot off the ball. He just looks somewhat disinterested out there. And I think that's the frustrating thing. And I think if Arteta doesn't get through them in training this week, then I think it may be a good idea for him, for the development of Havertz himself, for him to be dropped just as a bit of maybe a wake-up call. Because I still believe in Kai Havertz as a player. Am I skeptical? Of course. Yeah. But but something has to be done to get him involved. Because I don't even know if he's good enough to play for this team right now. Because I don't know what... He hasn't shown any quality. He hasn't attempted to. Yeah. So, that's my take. Yeah, I, I, I pretty much agree with that. And I sent you and Dad a pretty long text to Ransom. This is going to be redundant. Um... But for the rest of you, it will not be. Uh, yeah, I just it's just very, very, I'm going to say the word confusing because it really is confusing how a player at this level of the game, you are a 70 million pound transfer in the Premier League, is not even really confident enough to check into space. And it's so clear, I think I said this before, but it's so clear when you put him right next to Martin Odegaard when like the ball's on the yeah, right side, and that's where Martin Odegaard usually, you know, may, uh, mingles. Uh, he is sprinting into space. He is sprinting on the ball. He is getting rid of it, moving to get it back. He is switching the ball, playing the ball, turning on the ball, beating guys, playing guys through, all the attacking work rate in the entire world. And then you swing the ball to the other side of the field, and Kai Havertz is just standing next to a CDM, not moving, not drawing the CDM out. Nothing. He's just standing. And I was watching with a few of my friends, actually, who came over for the game. And I was, I was standing next to the TV. At one point, I got up and I stood next to the TV with my finger on Kai Havertz. And I said, watch what he's doing. And we had the ball. We were swinging it up the right side with Martin Odegaard. Uh, it was, you know, Saka to uh, Hardy to have Odegaard to Saka. It was like, you know, a little triangle in there. I was pointing to Kai Havertz. I was saying, what the fuck is he doing right now? And he's just standing there behind, not in front of the CDM, where he could, like, maybe make a quick run forward and then, like, maybe get in or get on the end of a ball. No, he was standing behind the CDM. He was standing there watching the play happen. I've I've really never seen that from a soccer player who just, like, isn't checking into space, isn't, you know, telling somebody else to check into their space, isn't moving around. It's just so, so confusing. And for a player that's... Honestly, I still believe he's good, even after his poor Chelsea spell, even after his, you know, not so great start to his Arsenal career. He just needs to be utilized correctly. And right now, him as the, I guess, quote unquote, Jaka replacement in that role, probably a more advanced role than Jaka played, but it's just it's not working. And I trust that Arteta will figure it out. But I, 
he could not have gotten subbed off quicker in that game. And it was clear. I mean, anybody who watched that game saw how different the game was when uh, Fabio Vieira came on for him and when Zinchenko came on uh, left back. Um, another player who can't get healthy quicker enough. I don't know what's going on with Gabriel. Uh, it, maybe he's not fit to play 90 minutes. I don't know. Maybe he's out of favor with Arteta for reasons that I don't understand. Maybe he's like blackmailing some. I don't know. It. It seemed very, very confusing, but uh, I've definitely been more confused uh, when it comes to the team selection. So uh, I trust them will figure it out, but that was, they made it harder. They made it very, very hard for themselves to win that game. And when you make it very hard for yourself to win that game, oftentimes it is hard to win games. And that's what that was. Even if they had the lead at one point up a man. Okay, enough about that. We have another team that managed to recover from their early disaster unlike Arsenal did uh United three Forest two Taiwo Wooney gets it started in the second minute followed by a quick I, I believe double. it's pronounced Cristiano Ronaldo but I mean <laughs> I mean he scored in seven consecutive Premier League games I believe the record is yeah 11 Jamie Vardy yeah yeah so he's yeah. four games away from equaling the record and his name is Taiwo Taiwo Wooney if you haven't sub them into your FPL teams for, I don't know, $1? I don't know how much he is. Get him yeah, in there. Absolute bargain right now. <laughs> um, in the 17th minute, Christian Eriksen gets one back for the home side. Casemiro equalized in the 52nd after missing a... Yeah, he probably saw it late, on that what that cross that went right across the six. Um, and I've definitely been there before, but yeah. very unlucky not to get that ball in the net. Uh, but he does... Make up for it with the equalizer in the 52nd. And then Bruno Fernandez, Bruno Penandez, gets the winner in the 76th for United at home. Uh, this was very resilient. I mean, anytime you come back from 2-0, certainly wasn't as dramatic as the Arsenal Bournemouth win, one from last year. But, you know, a 3-2 comeback win is a 3-2 comeback win all the same. This one probably more impressive because they didn't have to get a Reese Nelson screamer to, to get three points. Um, but was this Ten Hag resilience or kind of a fortuitous set of situations that involved the red card, uh, involving, you know, a couple fortuitous bounces? Uh, I think obviously the red card is fortunate and it maybe accelerated uh-huh. the comeback, but I think most of the credit has to go I, down I to Ten Hag and United yeah. because it, it was coming. I mean, they were already back at 2-2 already really threatening um i mean not too much changed after the red card i mean it was still the same mm. uh you know just united maybe the onslaught just got a little bit more intense once they were down to 10 men and the probability of forests getting a go-ahead goal or an equalizer just kind of diminish yeah but it always looks like united were gonna get the go-ahead goal and they did so you have to be given credit for that uh, I mean, their home record continues to be just absolutely impeccable, no matter Seriously. what sort of shenanigans they get themselves <laughs> into. Because so far at home, they've made it so difficult for themselves to get three points, but they've done it both they've times. They've done it, yeah. Um, yeah, I agree. It's just, I think this was a... And I, I think it's partially because they looked like a better United team than they did last week. Um with the exception of the first four minutes of the game. Uh, but I think that could be part into the Mason Mount injury. You know, a lot of players, a lot of fans secretly 
you know, saying, oh, well, there are worse players to get injured right now than Mason Mount. Um, yeah. They get Erickson in there, and, you know, he gets the first goal here. So, yeah, maybe a little addition, addition by subtraction there. Um, but, yeah, this team has been resilient, was resilient all season. That's why they came third, and this was just another installment of that. So, nothing but praise for United today. Everton nil, Wolves won a late, late winner for Wolves. I appreciate Ethan putting the phonetics up here, but I think I still am going to get it wrong. Kalich? <laughs> yep. Kalich. Or Kalich. Kalich. Kalich gets the winner in the 87th minute. Uh, so close, but not quite. I would have said Kaladzic, if for what it's worth. Um, nah, the D is just not existing. <laughs> Both the D and the J, really, just yeah, gone. I, doesn't really translate well the Baltic, uh, yeah, tongue <laughs> to the English tongue. Uh, anyways, uh, Everton still zero goals from three, zero points from three, sitting at rock bottom of the Premier League. Um, could it be the year, Ethan? Could it be the year? <laughs> it could be. Um. This was honestly impressive how Everton did not score in this game. Like <laughs> The other ones were crazy, like, too. I think they've won on XG in two of the three games. Yeah. Um, I have no idea how they didn't score in this game. Dan Juma had a clear breakaway. Great save yeah. from Jose Saw. who stood on his head all game. And I'm sure you've seen the Jose Saw save from the Decore header, which is yeah. just ridiculous. Ridiculous and good save. Um, but again, don't know how Everton have not scored in this game. Wolves were not the better team. Everton were much the better side. Wolves mm. did not threaten that much. It was just one ball, one great ball from Pedro Neto into the box. Um, Kalajic, who is probably Sean Dyche's dream striker with that physicality and height. Yeah. Um, I mean, it was an inch-perfect ball into the six. Uh, Pickford just couldn't get out there. It just wasn't... It was an in-swinging ball. It wouldn't have made sense for Pickford to come out, and all Kalaj had to do was just skim it on into the corner. It may have even come off his shoulder. Uh, but yeah, Wolves get a smash and grab, three points. And it's a great story for Kalaj, who you probably haven't heard of because he actually signed last season and was huh. injured for the entirety of last season. So it's basically wow. a new striker for them. Yeah. So yeah, nice to see him grab the winner. Uh, Yeah. I think that I agree. Everton probably deserved more than zero points in the last three games. Um, but then again, you know, good teams find a way to win. Um, not the Wolves are a great team, but you know, it, when it comes when it comes down to it, match week thirty eight, these are the games that are going to <clears throat> swing things. And this is just a brutal, brutal way to go down. I must say that Ethan did get this right. I believe one nothing Wolves. Yeah, one nothing wolves or one one. Maybe you said one one. I honestly, I honestly can't remember. I think I may have said one one. Okay, I said no. We'll, we'll have to go back in the archives. Yeah. Um, I think you said one one nothing. So maybe I'll look like an idiot when I go back. But, um, <laughs> I think I'll look like a bigger idiot if I get the exact <laughs> prediction cor- correct, and I can't even remember that I did it. <laughs> uh, Brighton three, West Ham one. I must say this was I was out. Uh. We had a little bit of an IU bar crawl on Saturday, so I was following this on my phone. But when these notifications, uh, not Brighton 3, West Ham 1, Brighton 1, West Ham 3, 
um the opposite way i will i must say when these notifications came rolling in i was especially the bowen and the antonio goals i was yeah more than surprised especially at the amex that this was that this result was happening especially on brighton's form um but west ham cooking at the right time jay James Ward-Prowse, if only he would start performing for West Ham in the 19th minute. Uh, Bowen, 2-0 in the 58th. Antonio, 3-0 in the 63rd. And then Pascal Gross gets one back in the 81st. But it would not be enough, as West Ham would take all three at the Amex. Um, and based on the highlights, this it, West Ham's goals looked like, like an all-star game goals. Where, like, it wasn't a ton of, like, chemistry and, like, tactical team play. It was just, like, moments of connected brilliance from a couple of players. Like, that Bowen goal was just, like, straight-up class. Yeah. Like, mm. Ben Rama just, like, just dragged the ball out on a counterattack, dragged it wide, drew two defenders, held it up, saw Bowen streaking, like, 40 yards away, whipped in a perfect ball to Bowen's strong foot who takes it down brilliantly and pokes it past um who it was a new keeper for brighton i think i don't even know it wasn't steel it was somebody else um Dang. but that was just brilliance like there's not much you could really do about that like you contained ben rama you contained the attack bowen just like sprinted like a foot past the stupid on took a, a the the only touch that would have actually gotten him an opportunity to shoot that because the stupid on was right there and then pokes, oh. it, pokes it past them for, for 2 nothing, And then Antonio just, like, straight up got him behind and scored. Like, Inning. Well, like, what well, are you yeah, going to do It was a great that? turn from him yeah. on, I think, either Webster or Dunk. Just dropping yeah. the shoulder, gave himself half a yard. Then another fantastic finish, similar yeah. to the one where he had against Chelsea. Just absolutely lashed into the bottom corner. Yeah. I think if Antonio can stay healthy, and it's not even, it's not even just about the goals for... Antonio, because if Antonio can stay healthy, he'll score, you know, between like 10 and 15 goals or something like that. But it's really just Antonio's style of play, just almost similar to obviously a much lesser version of Holland. Mm -hmm. Just the speed and strength that few Premier League defenders can like truly deal with. Yeah. It just gives West Ham like such an easy outlet to go long and just play a bit of Route 1 soccer. And mm -hmm. if they can have him up front for most of the season, and a trio of Paqueta, Bowen, and now Mohamed Kudus, who they've officially signed now from Ajax, sitting behind him, this can be scary hours. Not even to mention, you know, the set-piece threat of Ward-Prowse. Yeah. On paper, this West Ham team could be scoring goals for fun. And they I mean, have. we said that last year about him, right? Yeah. Like... <laughs> It's just the way it is. Like, they just need to perform. And they did nothing but perform for 90 minutes in this game. Um, and that's what happens. They comfortably beat a team that's playing, like, one of the best teams in the league right now uh, away from home. That's the kind of performance they put on. Um, and that was without Mohamed Kudis, who you have been praising since he was linked to two other teams. Brighton. So, yeah, yeah Brighton. Um, I mean, he could still be signing of the season, just not for <laughs> Brighton. Yeah. <laughs> Um. Yeah. Alphonse Ariel also stood in his head in this game. Evan Ferguson had like yeah seven shots fantastic. on goal, and he saved all of them. Um. But yeah, this West Ham team. Credit to David Moyes. I figured he was more of a caretaker manager. Um. Way back last year, but he has more than proven himself as as the long term solution here. So excited for West Ham. Um. I know a couple of West Ham fans both through 
social media and a person and it's been dark times recently so happy for him Sheffield United won Man City 2 uh Holland missing a penalty in the 37th minute uh almost the most exciting thing to happen for Arsenal fans in this game <laughs> um he then eventually scores in the 63rd um Bogey gets an equalizer in the 85th not three minutes before Rodri gets the winner in the 88th because that's how City roll, baby. You'd need more than that to, to take points off City. <laughs> and they didn't get more than that. City take all three away from home. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, as an Arsenal fan, this is a frustrating watch, <laughs> especially since, like, the mid... Like, the second after the kickoff, after the Sheffield United equalizer... You absolutely knew they were going to concede. For the entirety of the three minutes, they were holding on for dear life to not concede. I'm surprised it took as long as it did for Rodri to score the winner. Um, Rodri only scores bangers, as always. Um, I mean, he's not going to strike a cleaner ball than that yeah. for the rest of the season. On, on his weak foot, too. Like the, key, the keeper barely had time to turn his head to see it at the net. Like, utterly ridiculous. Um... But yeah, Man City get it done because because they're City and Sheffield United. They they just were not prepared to defend <laughs> any sort of like points. <laughs> they had no idea what to do. They were not <laughs> expecting an equalizer. Um, but honestly, I I was watching. I didn't watch the first half of this game, but I tuned in to the second half. Sheffield United had a couple of chances prior to uh-huh. getting the equalizer, and they actually had a really good chance right after Rodri scored. Really good ball towards the back post, towards a Bosnian center back's name, who I will not attempt to pronounce. <laughs> um, but he, instead of going for a diving header, he's just tried to do like a prime slot on, like midair karate kick that's not come off. But mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Uh, an Arsenal fan can dream, but Sydney take all three points here. Yeah, this is kind of just the way they do things they just run 11 at you and more often than not they will score more goals than you even if it takes them 88 minutes um obviously they were very very unlucky holland might miss two penalties in his premier league career and this will be one of them so um odds are they probably deserve to be up two three nothing by the time bogey got the uh bogle or bogey i think it's bogle okay not sure why i thought that was an i bogey's definitely a better name um <laughs> than bogle but I wish his name was Bogey because that's kind of like a it's like a cool dog name, but <laughs> it's unfortunately Bogle. Um, but yeah, the Bogle equalizer was probably probably shouldn't have been one one at that point in the game, uh, in all likelihood. But you know, City get it done nonetheless. Burnley won Villa three, Matty Cash in the eighth and the twentieth. Then Lyle Foster just after halftime, and then Diaby gets the sealer in the sixty first. Uh, Burnley getting their first goal back in the Premier League, but they were certainly not the better team of the day. Unai Emery's villains take all three. Yeah, yeah. Um, Villa continue to bounce back from that drubbing at St. James's Park on the opening weekend. Uh, and they, yeah, they just look really fluid in attack. I was, listen, I was somebody who somewhat criticized the Diaby signing, saying, Listen, he'll be good, but he's not going to make like a huge impact on the team just because I've recently formed a vendetta against big money winger signings. <laughs> uh, but I have to say, 
Uh, Diaby's looked really, really good these first three weeks for Villa. Yeah. Definitely, you know, it, obviously in the goals, but just really looks to fit into this attack really well. I mean, they're, they have so much pace with Watkins and Bailey as well, and they just link up really well. So, yeah, Villa <clears throat> looking very good at the moment. Certainly. Um, and this is a team that only strengthened in defense as well. Pau Torres, uh, yeah. Diego Carlos getting back from an injury is almost a new signing. Um, Matty Cash, I guess hitting his form. He had a shot at a hat-trick there at the end. Um, but yeah, this this is a team that's cooking right now. And maybe that Newcastle game was a bit of a fluke because they haven't looked poor at all since. So... Not a terrible day to be a Villa fan. And to finish off a very, very interesting game here. Newcastle 1, Liverpool 2. I was warming up for my club soccer game um, during the final 10 minutes of this game. And unfortunately, that's when everything (laughs) happened. Um, But it started off in the 25th with Anthony Gordon. Um... No more than two minutes later, Virgil van Dijk gets a red card for tripping up Alexander Izak on what was determined to be a clear and obvious goal-scoring opportunity. Ethan, I would like to get your thoughts on this refereeing decision. Uh, I think this is a clear red. Um, I think the only controversy in this lies because it doesn't look like your classic, you know, last man, you know, takedown. Yes. But... From the replay, you can clearly see that Isak is its clearly a foul. Van Dyke swipes right through mm-hmm. Isak's leg. There's no debate about that. Um, and he's clearly a last man back. The rest of the defense had stepped up. And Isak was in on goal with enough time to you know, set himself up for a shot. And he wasn't at wide enough of an angle where... It wouldn't have been like a great scoring opportunity. He was somewhat central, even though he was kind of towards the left of the side of the box. Yeah. Um. But there was no Liverpool defender who was going to catch up to him. It was a denial of a clear and obvious goal scoring opportunity. Um. And especially for a guy like Isak, uh, a very strong opportunity. And yeah, for me, I wasn't sure at first. Honestly, as soon as, as soon as the foul happened, I said. This will be a yellow. Just because, again, you see a lot of those kinds of uh-huh. challenges. Yeah. And usually they are given as yellows. But on upon replay, it's clear that um, Isak was in. So, yeah, it's a red. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think it took me a while to come around on it. Because even the first time I saw the replays, I'm like, like straight reds are are a egregious offense and i don't think that was egregious enough but when you see the bigger picture when you see um the move leading up to it when you see Isaac's body positioning and which way van dyke was leaning when he swiped Isaac's legs i think it is in the end a red card it's not one of the most brutal red cards you'll ever see but it is by definition a red card um and for the next 50ish minutes newcastle just pepper the goal. Allison making some good saves. Some very poor decision making from Harvey Barnes, who could have gotten a second to seal it. Uh, Almiron hitting the post. Um, just a flurry of opportunities for Newcastle to put this game away that they did not take. And when you give Darwin Nunez opportunities, you often regret it, Ethan. 
Um, when you give Darwin Nunez two, two opportunities up a goal, you are definitely going to regret it. And that's exactly what Newcastle did. He equalizes down to man in the 81st after getting subbed on and then gets the winner in the 93rd away from home to send all of the away fans into an absolute frenzy. Darwizzy, has he arrived in the Premier League, Ethan? Uh, well, it certainly looks promising. I, one thing I will say is that Darwizzy is, has haunted my nightmares because as I texted you, um, before Darwin Nunez came on, I, I just realized that my prediction for this game was 1-0 Newcastle with Anthony Gordon scoring the goal. And then I went back and realized I said the 28th minute. Gordon scoring the 25th minute. Yeah, so my predictions I, for this game would have been three. If, if Darwin Nunez never came on, let's say he doesn't <laughs> come on and stays that way, it would have been three minutes off. Yeah, the most perfect prediction. And I must say my jaw dropped when you texted me that because I did realize that you almost got that almost to the minute, which would have been absolutely yeah. incredible. Um, but my I they were up one nothing. With the in the twenty seventh minute when Van Dyke got this red card, my prediction of two nothing Newcastle was looking, you know, pretty solid, if not three nothing or four nothing, mm. you know, with yeah. the opportunities Newcastle were getting. Because even before the goal, even before the red card, they were the better team, unmistakably. Um, and it went pretty much the way I thought it was going to. Liverpool were cracking a little bit under the pressure of Newcastle. Didn't have to do that last week against Bournemouth, but did have to learn to adapt to that pressure this week against Newcastle, especially away from home and St. James, one of the toughest places to play. Did not look good until that man Darwizzi came on and saved the day like a superhero. And Klopp gets yep. all the praise for putting on Darwin Nunez, but all he did was sit back and watch him just slot one, slot two by Pope. Um, but yeah. we must talk a little bit about Newcastle. Because Anthony Gordon has put on quite the show since getting the nod from Eddie Howe at left wing. Obviously, Alan St. Maximon departing opens up that spot, and he has taken it in stride, Ethan. Yeah, yeah, and this Anthony Gordon signing, especially with the price tag he came with, $40 million, uh-huh. uh, was one I was pretty critical of, but um, I've turned a new leaf, or I've turn around my opinion yeah, I don't on know if that was because, the expression you were going for there but I know what you're trying to say yeah I was, I was thinking of which which uh <laughs> expression of you know changing opinions I was gonna go for I just couldn't decide on one uh but yeah Anthony Gordon was if Nunez never came on Anthony Gordon was clear and obvious man in the match for this game yeah. he was terrorizing Liverpool all game um he's gonna haunt Trent Alexander all his nightmares um, especially after, you know, yeah, what happened on the goal, clearly. But, yeah, it's definitely his to lose now. Barnes came in, and while he did, he had that one really good opportunity that he could have easily just squared to Wilson to put the game away, didn't. Um, but, yeah, Barnes is a great player, but Gordon, with already having the starting spot, he's looked really, really good. He Everything he did against Liverpool... He was just driving towards goal, wanting to make things happen. Um, yeah, definitely his spot to lose now. Yeah, I agree. Um, and I like you were critical at forty million. I thought it was a great signing. Maybe not at forty million, but to get he was like kind of that man at Everton. Um, and he was, he, but he, it was a very small sample size, yeah. and that's what I was a bit 
skeptical of. Um, but he was poor last season when he came on. He wasn't a regular starter. He was regular 70-ish minute substitute, and he wasn't fantastic when he came on. But this year, he's been everything that he was at Everton and more using his speed, using his technical ability to wreak havoc. So, yeah. He's not a great. I don't think he's that great of a guy off the pitch, but on the pitch, <laughs> he's not. He's not a bad player. Um, got a little. I don't, I don't know if he was going for Nick Pope's legs on that. Uh, on that finish, but if he was, credit to him. Um, I could never go for between the legs finish, but I'm always happy when it comes off. Uh, with that, we will round out this week's match week three coverage. We'll move on some match week four coverage, starting off with some predictions. We'll start off back at the Amex. Brighton hosting Newcastle. Two non-Big Six teams, quote-unquote, but probably two of the best two non-Big Six teams matching up at the Amex. Ethan, what do you got? Yeah, so I'm going to go for Brighton 1, Newcastle 2. Um, I think that this matchup actually favors Newcastle, who I don't think necessarily thrived to seeing so much of the ball against Liverpool. Obviously, they possessed a lot and create some good chances but I think they prefer playing on the counter-attack a little bit more and I think that's definitely going to be the case against Brighton who obviously love to possess the ball I could see it being a similarly frustrating day to the one that Brighton had against West Ham especially against a Newcastle defense that is usually very very solid and they were just uncharacteristically poor in those last 15 minutes against New, uh, against Liverpool. So I'm going to go for 2-1 Newcastle. Yeah, this is a tough one. I'm not going to lie. This is... I could see this going either way. I could see this 2-0 Brighton. I could see this 2-0 Newcastle. I could see this 1-1. I could see it 2-2. I could see it fucking like 4-4, honestly, with the way both yeah. these attacks are playing. Like... um. I think Newcastle's defense is a little bit more reliable than Brighton's defense. And that's why I'm tempted to go Newcastle, especially after what Brighton did on their home field last week. But I think they were very unlucky not to get at least two goals in that game um, because they were absolutely peppering the net. It was, it was like 19 shots to like seven. Um, that's how, how it goes sometimes. Um, I got a draw on this game. I'm going to say 1-1. I'm going to go Ferguson in the 29th and then uh Callum Wilson in the 71st. Next up, two teams that conceded very early on a Saturday morning, uh but ended up one ended up recovering, one ended up not. Both of them playing each other. This weekend at the Emirates. Ethan, what do you got? Yeah, so I'm going to go with Arsenal 3 and Manchester United 1. Um, two teams who probably both have a similar taste in their mouths so far this season. Both with big expectations. Both have had relatively good starts to this season results-wise, but yet to have sort of a statement victory. Um, but I think Arsenal at home are really going to want to avenge those lost points against Fulham. And I think they're going to come out of the gate really quickly and be up 2-0 inside the first half hour. Um, This isn't a slight on United, this prediction. I just have a feeling that Arsenal, at home with the crowd behind them, are going to be back at their best at, after a bit of, I'd say, a wake-up call against Fulham. Yeah. 
I agree. Um, I'm gonna say two one. Arsenal. Uh, I think they'll go up two nothing though, and probably concede like a late Garnacho seventy seven minutes something like that. Um, uh, I think that this could be the week that they get a couple players back. I think. Gabriel might come back into the 11. I think Zinchenko might come back into the 11. I think Havertz might get dropped because he was clearly just useless last week. Uh, Jesus is now fit and back. I don't know if he's exactly match fit yet for, for 90 minutes, but you know we could see him like a halftime substitution or something like that. So uh, this could be a almost full-strength Arsenal team after being not so full-strength in the last few weeks. Uh, that's why I'm saying Arsenal. I think it could very it could very well explode for Arsenal because when they've gotten Zinchenko on and Fabio Vieira on, not just last week in years in games past as well, they've looked like a different team. And if they look like that different team for 90 minutes, I think it could be a very good day at the office for Arsenal. Again, nothing against United. I don't think they've played fantastic through three games, but then again, Arsenal kind of you know. It was sketchy against Nottingham Forest. Um, very sketchy against Fulham to the point where they didn't even get three points. So, yeah, I I have full faith Arsenal will win this game. Um, and I think they'll play well doing it. And that leads us to our closing segment for today. We're going to go a little bit of a miniature throwback. We're going to get some goal picks in there. I know you guys missed them after last, uh, after last year. We're bringing them back just for the week. Um, but... You know, we missed it a little bit, so we want to get get back into the sort yeah. of things. Um, if you don't know how goal picks work, um, it was a co- season-long competition that we did last year where we added up the total amount of goals that we predicted. Um, but this year we're just doing it. This, this, today we're just doing it for this particular match week, match week four. Uh, but the way it works is both me and Ethan have chosen three players that we think are going to score in the upcoming match week. However, we have each also chosen three blocks where if the opponent, let's say I have three blocks and Ethan's in Ethan, one of one of my picks, one of my blocks is Holland and Ethan picks one of Ethan's picks is Holland. I get to choose a player in place of Holland for his goal pick next week. I've explained that over 20 times now and I still can't get it consistently well. However, I think I get it over the line most times. Um, yeah, more or less, we each have three picks and three blocks. If any of our picks line up with the other person's blocks, that pick is then nullified. Um, and if that player scores in the upcoming match week, I get a goal for it. And we see at the end of last season, we did it for the full season, so we totaled up at the end of last season. I believe Ethan won by six, seven goals, something like that. Something like that, somewhere in that range. Um. But fresh slate, anything can happen in a one match, one match week uh, system. So Ethan, would you like to hit me with your goal picks? I would. So I'm gonna start with my safest pick first, and that is Yoan Wisa versus Bournemouth. Um, Brentford at home. There, uh, their attack has been pretty good. Um, only scored the one against Palace, but I think. They'll put two or three past Bournemouth, and Wisa, as the man leading the line, I think will grab himself a goal. Mm-hmm. Second pick, I've gone with Julian Alvarez versus Fulham. Bit of a risky one, because Holland is the obvious choice. So if you want to block a City player, 
Alvarez would be a pretty decent shout. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's just a player I really want to have this week uh, because I think he's fantastic and there should be goals aplenty against Fulham. And for my third pick, I have Mo Salah versus Aston Villa. I think almost too easy of a block that like you wouldn't do it is my rationale. Uh, but yeah, picking Mo Salah to score a goal is never a bad pick. So who can I have? You can have all three. I yes. actually blocked Mbomo. Um, so I had the other oh. striker. Uh, but I also had Mikel Antonio and Raheem Sterling, two very unformed players. Uh, kind of the back of last week. All right, my turn. My first pick goes by the name of Hyungman Sun, uh, player for a very on-form Tottenham Hotspur team. And I'm certainly not picking Richarlison because it would be <laughs> so sneaky that I would not actually get a goal for it. So if anyone's going to score, it would be Sonic Kulishevsky, and I thought I could maybe yeah. sneak Sun past you. Free Richarlison picks for anyone out there. Um, <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> um, and I actually might end up with uh, Richarlison should he block any of the next two. <laughs> <laughs> um, my second pick is Gabriel Martinelli, a player that has been playing, in my eyes, pretty well. He's gotten a little bit of criticism for not getting on the score sheet and maybe giving the ball away a little bit too much, but uh, I think he's played very well. He had a fantastic assist um, a couple weeks ago. Uh, but he hasn't gotten on a score sheet yet, and he scored a bunch of goals last year. Natural-born goal scorer. I think he might slip one in against United at home this weekend. And then finally, it's Cristiano Ronaldo. No, it's not. It's Taiwo Awoni. Uh, is my final goal pick. Honestly, I think you might have blocked Taiwo Awoni. If I'm being honest, <laughs> but uh, who could I have? You can have Taiwo Wonyi okay. at the very least. You cannot have Human Son, however. Oh man. Uh yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it seemed like two two nights in a matchup against Burnley. Um, very close to picking Martinelli. It was which I went with Saka, but I was very very close to picking Martinelli there. But yeah, you can have those two. But however, you can have a player from the other side of that Spurs Burnley matchup. You can have Zeki and Dooney, the Not gonna give me Burnley Foster. striker. No, no, because he scored, so I know he can. <laughs> all right, whatever. I Even in a one-match thing, I can't slip. I can't get all three in. <sighs> Anyways, uh, that will round out the podcast for this week. Um, last week was certainly a lot to live up to for match week four. Um, I don't think we're going to get quite the amount of drama that this match week decided to conjure up for us in the next match week, but, you know, we can always dream. We can always... Hope that we wake up on Saturday morning and see some more fireworks. Uh, but with that, we will say goodbye for this week. We'll see you after match week four. Adios. See you.